this, this thing, this community, this bride, collective, really an introduction to a tribe that would become faster than it believed to become an institution, that would become a religion, that would become the name of something that may or may not be something that we even as a community would align with. But early on, there was no use of the word church in the New Testament. There was just a community of people who had been hanging on the word of this man who had invited them when they didn't believe that they belonged, who had shared his life fully with them, who had left them in awe and overwhelmed them with miracles and moments and relationships and concepts and a different belief system around even his teaching. He left them with just story after story and memory after memory into what felt like the most tragic of endings to watch this man who had been so invitational and so welcoming go through such a horrific conclusion to what seemed to be all of his life must have been just traumatizing beyond comprehension. I, I couldn't put it into words to watch someone that I believed in so much that had given me so much value to be dehumanized as much as what we've seen in the last days of Jesus. That there was an absolute dehumanization that was happening amongst this crowd to the point where this community found solace in one another in the darkness of a room not wanting to come out, wondering, waiting for the extent of a weekend, and in the boldness that we see in some around us, us two women, and maybe a a cohort of their peers with them decide to break light into the darkness and go to the tomb in order to make sure that he gets the honor and respect deserved that in the wake of all of the dehumanization that had happened on a Friday they were not allowed to do, these women go to the tomb to respect Jesus' body and to prepare him well in order for this, whatever is next, this eternity in this tomb. And they find that he's not there. And they run back to this very room and they burst through the door. And then Peter and John have a foot race to the tomb to see who can get there the fastest. One perceivably out of love and longing, one perceivably out of repentance and renewal in this journey. We find that he's not there, as the record would state. And then becomes this journey of Jesus spending 40 days showing this community, I am alive, I have resurrected, I am proving it to you, stick your hand in my side, let me show you the wounds, let me talk to you, let's reconcile on a beach with fish and have breakfast together, let me give you a word to go into all nations to teach them what I've taught you, to make disciples in this way, to draw people close. And then he says, as we've learned in the last couple of weeks, that as his last days were coming near to an ascension where he was going to go 
to sit with God in heaven and return where he came from. He said, wait on the Spirit. Wait. Wait for the Spirit to come. And that's how we enter into chapter 2 of the book of Acts, is that we meet the followers of Jesus, around 120 people packed into these same rooms, staying in Jerusalem, about 50 days later, maybe like 40, 50 days later, after this Passover journey had started, they're still in the room, waiting, waiting on the Spirit that was promised so that they can go. They've done the work that they believe that they were supposed to do in replacing Judas with Matthias. They're back to 12. It's a biblical number. We know that we can move forward. 11 just doesn't make sense. We're ready, but we're still waiting. And it's in the waiting that they meet the guide of the church. We all need guides. Sometimes we call them coaches. Sometimes we call them mentors. Whether we enter into a realm of profession or are just going to play. We need someone to guide us into the what's next of our life. Maybe it's just in one small element. I looked for a guide once to teach me how to play the guitar. We figured out in one session that that was not something I should ever try to do again. And he guided me to give that guitar to a fifth grader. And that fifth grader is now a worship leader. And I still, maybe I could pull off a G. I, don't, I doubt it. Sometimes you meet a guide and you realize, this isn't for me. But when we want to do something well, we find someone who's already been there. And we step in and we figure out a path towards success in order to help us solve a problem. About this time last year, I was introduced to a group of men who would be my guide for the next three or four months. My daughter had been given a role in the Nutcracker, a ballet that would be to be performed at Music Hall, and she came home from the first parent meeting with a little slip of paper that said, we need dads. We need dads to be part of this musical, or ballet. It's not a musical, it's a ballet. I don't know. Not my language. If it is a ball that needs kicked, I'm in. If we want to throw it, hit it, I was trained in those things growing up. If you want me to do a monologue, I could memorize it and we could go. But if you want me to dance in a ballet, I'm not your dad. Not the guy for that. But cute little Brinkley comes in and says, Daddy, will you be in the ballet with me? I have a personal rule of life that says say yes until you can't. Like until fear stops you, finances say don't go forward, someone with wisdom says not a good decision, or the police arrest you, right? Like there's, there's, there's some things in life that you just can't do, but until then you should say yes. If there's no reason to say no, say yes because you don't know how God's going to teach you in that moment. And so in that moment, I could not come up with any reason to tell my daughter no, except that I can't dance. And I said, you know that I don't really dance. Like, have you seen me dance? And she's like, you don't have to know how. They'll teach you what you need to do. They'll show you everything. You have rehearsals. Will you send an email and be in the ballet with us? Yes, I'm in. And Sarah actually looked up in that moment and was like, what, 
you said yes to that. There, we did not think there was any way you were going to say yes. We had actually had a conversation on the way home. What ask number two would be, what bribery would be in level three. What could we offer you to say yes to this? Because this is so not you. And I'm like, but it's my baby girl. Like, I, yes, yes, I'm in. So we go to the first rehearsal as gingerbread men. That's going to be our job. And when we walk in, they partner the new guys with the veterans. And during the dance of the second act, they show us when we come out, when we go back, when we're going to be part of it, what our dance moves look like. And there's one strategic part that you have to move a throne from offstage to the middle of the stage so that the two main characters can sit in the throne. And then within like eight counts, you have to move it back to the back of the stage. That's the biggest responsibility for the gingerbread man, in addition to our phenomenal dance moves, which exists of us standing like this and going, right? That's all we had to do. So at that point, I was like, got it. I can do that. Like, I can, I can go from side to side, and it'll be awesome. I'm good. That throne thing, though, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about moving this thing to the middle of the stage. And they warned us in the beginning, if you haven't done this before, just know the throne is very heavy and it's on these casters and it's not very balanced. And once you get the two people on there, sometimes the throne in the past has fallen off the casters. Okay. I don't want that to happen. That would be horrible if Clara and her poodle go sprawling in the middle of the ballet because we knocked her off of her throne as gingerbread men, like we will probably never be asked to come back and be part of this again. And so I watch, I watch the veterans, we go to rehearsals, stand in the back, and there was this one gentleman who came over and he was like, do you, do you feel comfortable doing like the role? And I said, I think so, I'm just not sure about the throne. And he's like, well, I will be with you on your first night, so why don't you stand on stage left? or stage right, and you will just watch it happen. You can be one of the ginger men that don't touch the throne. Great. And he was actually in my cast, so my guide was with me, and everything went smashingly well. I didn't have to use the, the, to, uh, to move the throne. I was on cue the entire time. Brinkley danced right in front of me. It's a little tearful moment, like backstage, you get to see all of these things happen and all of these ballerinas and all of this stuff is happening and it's this amazing moment and everything just happens in the exact way that it's supposed to and I'm like, I got this. It's a couple of weeks before my next performance. I got booked again, yay for me. This time, when we get backstage and we start to put on our costumes, all of the men that are there are saying... Who, who wants to be on the side of the throne? And we had a grandfather and a father in this one, which is really neat. Grandpa and dad are watching their daughter be part of this thing, and they're both ginger men too. Real cool moment. And they're like, I don't know, but I can't do that throne thing. Cool. Two out of the four are out, which means it leaves myself. Never done this before. And the only other veteran that has been part of these shows. And he's like, I've been waiting to do the throne side. Like, I can't wait. So you're with me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I have not moved the throne. Even in rehearsal, I never got booked on that side of the stage. So 
I don't know what the cue is for that. I think I do. And he's like, it's when her feet hit the ground. Like, all right, so when Clara, the main character, when her feet hit the ground, we move to get the throne. That's when we move to get the throne. I'll guide you through it. I've got you. I'm like, cool. So we dance our way out onto the stage. And we stand. And then we take four steps forward because that's our job. And Clara goes up. And Clara comes down. And I, out of my eyes, go, her feet just hit the floor. He's not moving. Her feet hit the floor. He's not moving. Her feet, she's moving. And so then I just start moving. I just start dancing away. I'm like, we totally just like screwed the whole show up. I know the throne is supposed to be out there. And I move it. He looks over and sees me move, like the veteran, and he goes, oh, yeah. And then he comes with, and he gets to the side. And by the time he gets to the side, he's just like, son of a mother. Like he's just like. Like the, the, the dirtiest ginger man you've ever met. Like he's, I'm just like, I'm not sure that you're allowed to go back out there. And we're, his face is red. We're moving out to the middle. And by the time we get it there, they've like, this has happened to them before, thankfully, because they've, they're making this thing up as they go. We get the throne there, and the soldier looks like he's going to stab us in our ginger hearts with his sword, and we're all going to die. And we move the throne to the back, and we get it to there. And then at an intermission, we... We dance off to the side, and he takes his, like, ginger head off, and is just like, son of a mother, and I'm just like, yeah, that's how I felt, too, because I looked like an idiot in this moment, and we failed. Like, we did not get the throne out on time, because we had been told over and over what it was supposed to look like, but we had not experienced it, and my guide was in it with me for the first time, and there is no shame. Like ballet shame. Like I'm telling you. Word had spread. By the time we got back to our dressing room to take off our ginger man costumes, the, it was wildfire. People were coming back like, better luck next time. I'm like, I, but no one knows the story, right? Like no one knows I'd never done that before. It was just... There's the gingerbread man who couldn't get the throne from backstage onto the stage. Ah, failure sucks. Especially when you're in front of everyone. I thought you might want to see a picture there. That, there's me, me as a gingerbread man. It's sweaty. It's hot. And I failed. And as I was walking away, I let all those lies get in my head of who I failed. I failed the director of this show, the producers, all of the people in the ballet, Clara and her poodle, and my little girl. I messed up. And it hurt. Because a couple things happened. I thought I knew what I didn't know. And I didn't have a healthy guide. See, all great stories are told from the premise that there's a hero in the story ginger man they have a problem that they need to solve I need to get the throne to the middle of the stage and back to the spot and then I need to dance side to side in order to make all things Christmas happen well and a guide enters into that story and says I know how to do that I have done that before you I'm going to create a plan for you I'm going to teach you how to do that plan then there's going to be a call to action the curtain's going to go up and you're going to go out, and you're going to perform, and you're going to perform well, and we're all going to live happily ever after. Most great stories have a hero, a journey, and a guide. 
And most of the time on our hero's journey, we fall in love with the hero, Harry Potter. We meet his guide, Dumbledore. And at some point, the guide leaves. Luke, Obi-Wan, then Yoda. You end up with the hero and their guide. And sometimes you can take that across other storylines, right? Like Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson. Here's the relationship that we have in these different things where you have this hero on a journey and you have a guide. But what happens when the guide's not there or the guide has no experience? Enter Acts chapter 2. Why Jesus said, wait. There's no guide here among the 120 of you. If you stand up without the Spirit as the church, you're going to go into what you thought I said, what you thought I would do, but you don't have the right guide. Wait on the guide and let the guide come to you. And Jesus had promised this through his entire ministry on earth. I'm with you. Some of this stuff is confusing. It's my father and, and I, it's our plan that you wouldn't even fully understand this because if you understood and stepped out on stage too fast, you're going to forget the throne. And then you're going to walk off and you're going to feel the shame. So wait on the guide. The guide is coming. The guide is not here yet. But then in Acts 2, we get the arrival of the guide. The church is the hero in this part of the story. Wrestle with that this week. Think through that. Put that even into your own, like, just little journey and walk. There's no, in the New Testament, there's no individual that comes out as the hero of the next season of God's story outside of the church. Jesus has been the hero. His journey is finished. He's gone to the Father and the Spirit as his guide while he's here. He's accomplished his portion. But in these last days, the Bible sets up the story as the church being the hero on its journey with a problem to solve. Go into all nations and make disciples. Invite others to understand this good news and to live life together. That's the problem. And they're all waiting in a room for the guide to show up. When the day of Pentecost, in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As the church meets our guide, we are going to see that the Holy Spirit shows up to empower Jesus' followers to declare the wonders of God, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, and to invite everyone to belong. But the Holy Spirit first needs to show up. And in this passage, the Holy Spirit shows up and it says, like a wind. That's a total Old Testament reference to say this is like God showed up in the Old Testament. You can think of characters in the Old Testament where God would show up like a wind to. A still small wind to Elijah. But there have been larger winds and moments even stirring up storms with Jonah and stirring up great things where God would be in this sound or this clatter that sounded like a great wind historically 
And so the audience would be like, wait a minute, there's, it sounds like a wind. It doesn't mean that there was a wind in the house. It doesn't mean anything happened. It sounded like wind and looked like tongues of fire that were unified and then divided in the room. doesn't mean that there were actually tongues of fire dancing on people's heads like sometimes we see visually. But from Luke's perspective, he's like, the only way I can tell you about this is it's like tongues of fire were dancing on people's heads, which is also a huge reference to the narrative of God. God speaks through fire burning bush, right? God speaks in the context of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Sometimes the fire of God leads the people, nation of Israel, through the wilderness into the promised land. Pillar of smoke and this dancing fire to be able to see and guide. Especially in the role of guide. The fire represents a guide in the narrative of God. And so here's the thing that feels like this wind that's going to create momentum and it looks like this guide that has spoken purpose to the followers of God historically. And it comes into the place and out of that place the disciples and the other followers that actually it says in the quote of Joel later it says like men, women, Servants, leaders, everyone came out of this place. And they were speaking. But what's important for us is the what were they speaking. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I don't know why we keep tongues in there. This word can actually mean languages, and it does here. They spoke in other languages. Sometimes we say tongues. This is not the inner prayer room tongues thing that Paul might be referring to later. This is not the prayer language between myself and God that we have some scripture that we have to work out in uh, some of Paul's writings. This is languages that I do not speak. This is you speaking English, entering into a Spanish-speaking country, and people going, wow, that's impressive. You speak Spanish. And you say, no, I don't. I speak English what do you mean? And they say, you just spoke in a way that I could understand as Spanish. And you said, no, you're speaking English. No, I'm not. I'm speaking Spanish. I imagine there to be these debates that are happening there. They're like, no, I'm saying this to you in Spanish. And they're like, no, you're saying it in English. I had that happen once. You can ask me about it later. It was weird. Very weird. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is why we know it was languages, not these uh, spiritual tongues. When they heard this sound, a crowd came in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are these men who are speaking, are these men who are speaking Galileans? Like, they, Galileans don't know multiple languages. Their education level at that point would have gone trade school early on in their development This is not someone who understands five different languages of the areas around. They're saying, wait a minute, their education gives them no reason to know this. Then they go through the list of everyone so as far away to as close in all of these communities. And all of these communities were understanding their word. And they said, they are declaring the wonders of God. That's what the crowd said. That's what the people The Jews from all of these places that were coming into Jerusalem at this time, their first word was, these men and women are speaking things to me and they are declaring the wonders of God. 
the Holy Spirit is welcome into places and begins to empower the church, not when it first starts with the gospel of Jesus, when it first starts declaring the wonders of God. And so many times as a church we skip this, like not as an echo church, but as like a big church. We skip the declaring the wonders of God in a community or just in a narrative or in a celebration, in an environment, and we skip straight to, but did you tell them about Jesus? I had this debate with someone last week. They asked, if I'm really going to make a change in Avondale and Price Hill, where should I stand and proclaim the gospel of Jesus? I was like, are you asking where you should stand to get shot or disrespected? Or disconnected? Because if you want to enrage a community, show up on a corner with a real big loudspeaker and just proclaim that it is, his words were, all of these things are happening because it's evil in the neighborhoods. And I'm like, just go do that on a corner. Let's see how, how long you last in our, and I'm like, I, how long will you last in the neighborhood that you're talking about when you walk out and just say, you are all evil, if you would repent and know the gospel of Jesus, we could move forward. And I'm like, time out, that's not how the Holy Spirit started. The Holy Spirit started by entering into an epicenter in the city and walking away around and saying, hey, can I tell you about the wonders of God here? Can I tell you what God's already doing? Can I tell you about this amazing city that you have? Can I tell you about what's happened? This is the same epicenter of the city and religious epicenter of the Jewish community where they just crucified the Son of God. And the church started with, let's talk about what's wonderful here. I need more of that. I need more people reminding me of that. Let's talk about the wonders of God in the city as the foundation of the church and not get ahead. Because then they get ahead. They talk about the wonders of God and their response to these people who are unqualified, under-resourced, and have just come out of a room after 50 days of hiding are telling us about what God has done among our people and their rights. They're telling us all of these great God stories. The response, they must be drunk. That's the response of the community. It is Pentecost, which is a day of celebration, like insert Mardi Gras type atmosphere in celebration at the end of this barley feast, right? Barley feast. And uh, so we are celebrating the end of the harvest of barley with a day of celebration. They must be drunk. Peter's response, (laughs) it's only the third hour of the day, not yet. That comes later for us. That's his response. We're not drunk, it's only the third hour of the day. If you're in the fourth hour, we could talk about it. But in the third hour, we're not drunk yet. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter takes it as an opportunity to speak, and he says, it is now time to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. If you look in verse 22, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
what about that sounds like good news to an audience of people that are standing in a huge party environment in response to their belief that they have thwarted the efforts of a cult that was trying to overcome their belief system around the one true God. Because that's really this community. A Jewish community that thwarted this offshoot that was led by this rogue leader. We got that out of the way. We've gotten back to our feasts. We're at our party day. What is good news about that? Here's what I would say. We all know when we're wrong. And it just sits in there. And we wait on someone not to shame us about our guilt, but to actually have the guts to look us in the eye and say, we all know we did it. We know it. And Peter, I hear this word that he's speaking, not out of condemnation to the community, but out of tear-soaked eyes of knowing that he is the one who ran and hid. That he's the denier three times. That this isn't spoken out of, look what you did. This is spoken out of, let me tell you about Jesus, get choked up, because I refused to tell you about him the first three times you asked me. Now I'm going to tell you about him the fourth time that you're asking me. In public, here, who is doing this? And he's like, yep, this is my opportunity. Last three times, I denied connection to him. This fourth time, I'm going to stand up and tell you the truth. This is happening. All of these affirmations that fit the God we believe from the Old Testament are happening right now because of the one who we killed. Because we were wrong. Because of our sin. Because of our separation. God knew from the beginning that we wouldn't get it and we wouldn't do it well. And he still went anyway. This is the truth. I love you enough to tell you the truth. You were wrong. I was wrong. We can't do it on our own. We just killed Christ. (sighs) Isn't that good to know we're part of a community that will tell the truth? We will proclaim the wonders of God. We will tell the truth. We will find the goodness in that truth that as he moves forward into verse 32, he said, but God has raised this Jesus to life And we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, in verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There's the good news. The good news is that we can crucify anything that is connected to sin and death. Go through all of Romans. This is what's said there. On Friday and then on Sunday, he promises resurrection of new life. That's the good news part. We can be guilty of all of this, and he will then give the Holy Spirit back to us who are guilty of separation from God and devaluing his humanity around and breaking all of his laws and his covenant His return is to say, oh yeah, I would just rather give you a better guide. Once you know you were wrong, I can now give you a guide that you would accept, and not only over you, but in you. It's John 14. He says, I won't just give him around you, I'll give him in you now. Are you good? And I would, 
I would say that if you're like me, you're a better ginger man after you've danced and failed than had you not ever danced at all. Think about the relationships that you're the best at. They've probably come out of some relationships that didn't go so well. But you've chosen to resurrect relationship and hopefully in this space with a better guide. So what Peter is saying is here's what the Holy Spirit looks like. Here's our guide. He comes in and he proclaims the wonders of God in your community. And he tells you the truth about the goodness of Jesus. That we are both responsible through our separation from God for the agony of his crucifixion. And we are also recipients of the reward of his resurrection. Because it says here that God gave the Holy Spirit to Jesus and let him do with it what he wanted to do, which is kind of crazy. Here, O son who was just killed by all of these people, this is my spirit. Who do you want to give it to? I would not be like Jesus in that. I'd be like, I'm not giving it to the guy who froze on stage and made me look like a fool. He doesn't get that. There are people that I would, my humanity would choose to not want to give that to. Probably you're in that boat too. There's probably a section of people that you're like, everybody belongs but them. But Jesus' response was, I already promised them that the spirit was going to be given it to me and they're waiting on me to give it to them and they get my spirit because what happened on Friday does not determine my love relationship for them. What happened on Sunday resurrects everything about my love relationship with them. And so Jesus says, the spirit was given to me and church, I give it to you. What are we going to do with it? Which is the last thing that the Spirit is here to do, is to invite everyone to belong. If you look in verse 37, when the people had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, Peter's a really long preacher. Many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's interesting as to what he would mean by this corrupt generation. This corrupt generation that in religious piety, he's not talking about Rome there, he's talking to a Jewish community who have been following religious teachings under an old covenant. In this corrupt generation where religion is trumping the calling of the Messiah as Christ through Jesus Christ, like religion, that's the corruption. In a corrupt generation where it looks more like the religion that you follow than the relationship that we have with this Christ, stand firm and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you so that what we do next can be different. Which church do you feel pulled toward? The, the church that says we need to condemn this corrupt generation, sometimes we do that. The church that says let's proclaim the wonders of God. Let's claim the gospel that is Jesus. 
Let's invite everyone to belong because we were invited when we didn't deserve it either. And what does that feel like? I see it each day we get up and give a second chance, offer reconciliation, offer repentance, and that we have a word for the world of saying, I mean, really for me, the thing that's worked is that I confess Jesus because I believe his way is the only way. And I chose baptism because I felt really dirty and unclean with everything that was going on in my life. And that immersion into that water giving me a new life and a promise, a guarantee. You will not find in the New Testament any place where there is not a guarantee of the name of Jesus followed by a gifting of the Holy Spirit. I want that. I need the guide inside of me. Because I can't do it very well by myself. I had one performance left. Very next day after, I screwed the whole show up. Thankfully in that same screw up show, one of the Russian dancers tried to do some type of flip in the air and missed it. So they forgot about the ginger man. (laughs) He used the same creative language as my ginger man friend. It was interesting on that night when he fell, he came off of the stage and he had some of the same language and his whole community of dancers came around him and immediately were saying, we get it, we love you. And some guys from behind the scenes, the people that run the set, they were like, where was that mark? Because that looked too slippery for you. We need to fix that spot. We know you can dance. We know that was a problem with the stage. Like they were talking him up. No one came to the ginger man that night and talked us up. Like, <laughs> We got to go back to our tiny little changing room and take their costumes off and get out of there. But the next night, I walked into the room and my original guide was back. The night before, he had actually been in the audience watching his daughter. And he came in and he looked and he was like, that was you last night, huh? And I was like, that was me. What happened? So I get to tell him the whole story. And in the story, he's like, man. I was sitting out there, and I just felt for you because I was like, her feet hit the ground. Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you moving? He's not moving. Something's wrong. Like, yeah, was it that bad? He was like, well, no one except people who know what this show is about and really have seen it before would have even noticed. And I'm like, so everyone noticed. He's like, yeah, pretty much everyone in my row. Great. The other two ginger men came in, and as they sat down, the two veterans looked at me and said, hey, um, it's your last show, right? I think, I think you should be on the throne side. I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I should. And they're like, nah, we think you should redeem this. Last night was a fluke. It's weird. We've all done things. I'm like, all right, I'm in. And one of them said, I'll be in with you. And we'll do it together. Great. But then the other dad stood up and said, yeah, I haven't gotten to be on the throne side ever. And this is my, like, last show. And it's kind of my first show on that side. I kind of want to keep my place. I'm like, great, two rookies again. And so the veterans didn't get partnered up with us. It was just us. And as we're walking out, he's like, so, since you did this last night, um, I'll go off your cue. Cool. 
Yay. No pressure. And we walk out onto the stage. Take that back. We dance out onto that stage. It's so awesome. We come up to our moment. Claire's feet hit the floor. We move. We bring the throne out. It's perfect. The soldier looks at us like, you guys are so on. We move it to the back. It's perfect. We dance off stage. And the moment that I noticed the most that night were these two other guys coming over going, you killed that. That was amazing. I was like, you're just blowing smoke. And they're like, no, no, no. And they're just talking us up. And we go to put our gingerbread costumes away. And I look at this and I'm like, man, I just love church. Like, I just love a world where people want you to win. Where they see a mistake and they don't define you by it. But instead they go, hey, you want to try again? Let me tell you a little bit more about that. Let me show you this time. And if you need me, I'll go with you. Because it doesn't matter if you're in a stupid gingerbread costume or you're standing right here and something stupid comes out of your mouth. You need the same grace in the same space with the same community saying, hey, you want to try again? Because not being a gingerbread man isn't an option. And not being part of us isn't an option. So let's just go with a different guide this time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the spirit to guide us. And I pray that the spirit that is at work in us and in here moves in the wonders and the awe of yours that are out there and that you just continue to remind us that we belong and that whoever we feel that they are, that they belong, and that you just teach us again and again how to repent and to be washed clean so that we can be refilled with you. It's in your name. Amen.